100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Outdoors International hunting consultant, Kyle Hansen. So I'm actually hunting with Kyle this year in Alaska. So we're going to walk through the process of different types of hunts in Alaska, how to plan a hunt with the increased demand that they're having, where to start, and much more. And we really do that by breaking down the case studies of a moose hunt I'm planning this year, how Kyle got into becoming a hunting consultant, uh, our 2023 Kodiak Island Sika Blackdale hunt, and really how you can plan all these things for yourself. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from Chris Wiest out of Pennsylvania. So Chris wrote in, I hunted this Pennsylvania buck for two and a half years, seen him one time the season before, and he kicked my butt. Last season, I focused all my time and energy on this buck, 20 plus cams out of my 55 just on him. I missed him on opening day where my bow rope got caught in my bowstring and my sidebar picked it up. I had him bed 50 yards from me the second week and watched him for over an hour and I couldn't make myself take that bedded shot no matter how bad I wanted to. Then it was a cat and mouse game until the last week of the season. Monday the 15th, I sat up on a small bench where I knew deer frequently hung out. Six or seven does trickled in. Two small bucks came rushing into chase, and I looked to my left, and here he came. 16 yards with the closest off wind in my life. The wind is between us, and his attention is on the small bucks. Ears folded back. I came to full draw and shoot him at just 16 yards, hitting the mark. It's a, an absolute stud. I believe he said in the message, so Chris wrote in, uh, I was 157 and some change inch buck out of Pennsylvania. Just absolute stud, killing it with his bow on public ground. Just a very big accomplishment. So I highly recommend everyone head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out the the post to be able to see this buck that Chris shot such a beautiful deer from the 2021 season and from what from what i hear this isn't uh chris isn't isn't a stranger to shooting big bucks so congratulations and uh if you want to send in your story send it in to bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com send it to my email there would love to hear it just a short paragraph or two about your mountain buck story and photo or two of the buck and that's all you need to do and get to share it on the podcast and and share it on social media i love reading these stories love hearing the success so that's awesome uh, before we jump into this episode just have a quick update uh make sure you sign up for the email newsletter letter and subscribe to the youtube channel for mountain buck scouting camp information so eastmeetswesthunt.com there's a little pop-up that comes up sign up for that newsletter and that's where I send the, the weekly updates uh, through that newsletter there. And we're getting pretty close to registration for Mountain Buck Scouting Camp. So just uh, let everyone know here, um, you can you can uh, find the event page. I have it up on the website. It's not open, but you can see the details of the event. So if you head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com and click on the events tab, you can see all that there. Uh, registration is going to open up January 11th, 2023 at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a Wednesday. I had it wrong in the first email where I wrote Tuesday the 10th. It's going to be Wednesday the 11th. 
So last year when I opened up this registration, it sold out in less than two minutes. So I would recommend uh, checking that out right when it goes live. If you want a spot in it and want to come hang out with all of us for the, the scouting camp. So I'm really excited for that April 15th and 16th weekend. But to save all the, the information here, head over to the website, check out that events page. Other than that, I think um, I think we're good just to jump into this podcast here with Kyle Hansen of Outdoors International. All right, we are live. Kyle Hansen, Outdoors International, welcome back to the podcast, man. I just looked, and it's been three years since you've been on the podcast. Can you believe that? Has it really? Yeah. I actually did a yeah. search um, through my podcast directory on the website because I wanted to make sure, one, that we weren't covering things that we've talked about in the past. And I realized you were back on episode 108. I mean, we've talked about you like after we did the caribou hunt, but it was actually as I was uh, planning the Alaska caribou hunt with you back in early 2020. It was January 8th of 2020 that the podcast went out. So it's been just about three years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dang, man. We've talked a yeah. lot since then, so it doesn't feel yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You and I have talked on the phone uh, a lot, I guess, in the in the meantime, whether it's planning hunts or just kind of catching up uh, through whatever, I guess. But um, yeah, it's good to, for sure. to have you back on. Yeah, for sure. Well, always a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely looked like, um, I, 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 when did you start working uh, as a hunting consultant for Outdoors International? It was, I think officially it was like March 30th of 2019 was my first official day. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So you were, you were kind of still within your first year, um, when we were planning some of those things and that seems like it's definitely evolved, uh, a lot <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. since that time frame. You're a busy guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stay super busy. And in that first year, I wasn't 100% full time yet, just transitioning from multiple careers into now my only career that I focus on full time. During that first year, it was a lot to shift over. And as you know, going full time outdoor industry, anything is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. it's not a, what it's I not a <laughs> sign a dotted line, typically not sign a dotted line. And all of a sudden you're in a new career. It takes time to, to work your way in it and figure out when to make the jump. And is this, is this possible to make a living doing this, that, that sort of deal? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just kind of staging everything and ramping everything up and making sure that it's going to be a stable career choice and you can support yourself while you're growing your business. And, you know, it sounds like thankfully for both of us, we're able to take that leap and it's been more successful than we could have hoped. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing for sure. And, uh, it's definitely not, I would say it's definitely not as stable as, you know, just signing up with a, a big company and going to work and like, there's a lot of things that can change, but I think if you're willing to pivot and, and work hard, like you can, you can pave your own path with it. And I think that's been kind of the case for both of us in the, in this time frame, so to speak, but what, um, Absolutely. So I wanted to I wanted to kind of recap on this. I know we covered it back on episode 108, but just kind of like what you do, like what what is your job and how do you help people? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so I get asked that a lot because um, the title hunting consultant is not a job position 
that you oftentimes hear about. And so it's very niche, obviously. And so I always tell people that I'm basically like a travel agent, but for hunting trips. And so, you know, people can come to me and say, Hey, I'm looking to do, you know, fill in the blank hunt. Um, what services do you provide? And so in turn, I work with, I mean, I, believe we're sitting at about 262 vetted partners world worldwide right now. And so we have partners in the outdoor industry, outfitters, transporters, and trip providers that we ourselves have vetted for quality prior to sending clients there. And um, that allows us to provide a service for a client. So the long and short is I'm basically a travel agent, but for hunting trips. So, Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because like when I thought of hunting consultants in the past, I thought it was, you know, it was, it was basically, you know, you helping hook somebody up with an outfitter and then that was kind of it. Like you, you got your commission and you walked off and what I've learned from working with you through, um, you know, you and I have, I've uh, only worked on uh, DIY hunts together that, thus far, but you know, even with the, the outfitted trips, there's, there's so much more to that. Like as far as when I planned that caribou hunt with you in, in 2020, it wasn't just like, okay, you hooked us up with a vetted transporter, which is obviously a really good thing before you spend your hard earned money on having someone fly into the field, knowing that it's good, that there's a good potential of it being, um, a successful hunt. Um, not, not only from the, the tag filling part of it, but the experience and, and the professionalism and all those different things. But you help me with everything, like understanding how to get to Alaska. Um, you know, looking at, you know, with, you know, back when I bought or I got my Alaska Airlines credit card that I was able to use the miles from that to pay for my commercial flight up there and, down to, okay, you should look at staying at this hotel because they have a freezer. So when you get back, you can freeze your meat and use these types of boxes, package it up this way. You can transport it on the airline for, you know, this amount of money essentially and kind of helping with all those logistics that can be, especially as I, I don't think anybody, uh, I don't think anybody right in, in 2022, 2023 is looking at, uh, that they have all this free time on their hands. Like it's, it's, uh, part of your job as far as the way I look at it is being able to help make that easier for people and, uh, kind of take some of that learning curve out of play, even the DIY hunts and, and being able to plan some of those things and understanding the gear you need to take and, and what's important, you know, what, what do you need to spend money on? What don't you, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's, it's been, it's been, uh, something that I didn't understand prior to working with you. And, you know, since then, uh, uh, now actually you and I are, I don't even think I've mentioned this on the podcast at all yet, but we're hunting together, uh, this late October and November and, uh, Kodiak, Alaska for sick of black deer. So that's, that's yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. You, you told me you're like, man, you got to do this hunt. Like you, you talk yeah. you right into it and you know, it was a hard thing of like, okay, there are these, you know, smaller than white tail for the most part deer, um, from an antler size, uh, side of things. And you're like, dude, it's one of the best experiences that you can do a fun hunt, uh, a lot of game, uh, and just like a really cool hunt. So Myself and Absolutely. Michael uh, Paladino has been uh, one of my best friends forever and, and hunting partner. And then Justin Mueller is going to come out and film it. And you and a couple of your buddies, it, it, I think it's going to be a freaking blast. 
yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And that, that trip is, I can describe that trip in so many different ways because I just, I'm absolutely in love with Kodiak Island. And it's one of those trips I never thought I would enjoy until I pushed myself to go do it because my buddy Gary had an opening on his boat last year. And he'd tried to talk me into it earlier in the year and I just couldn't make it work with other stuff going on. And then I had obligations shift around and then the opportunity came back available when somebody <clears throat> again canceled on his boat. And I was able to jump in short notice. I already had a hunting license. I had enough miles built up on my Alaska air card. It was like, man, I have no reason not to go do this trip. <laughs> I'm just going to go do it because it's a new experience. Sounds cool. And I always wanted to go to Kodiak. I went there and my goal was to take a decent buck, go fishing and, and shoot a fox. I did all that in the first 24 hours. And it's, it's one of the most affordable and actually it provides the most value of any other hunt that you can do in the state of Alaska dollar for dollar. Cause I mean, your those trips are normally only like 3,500 to 4,500 bucks. Um, and that's a DIY hunt where you get to go back to either a boat or a lodge every day, meals, accommodations provided, dry your stuff out at night. You can shoot up to three bucks, two fox, fish, pull crab pots, and waterfowl hunt. And then if you're an Alaska resident, you can shoot mountain goats too, and up to five deer. So it's like, it, yeah. it was just like a kid in a candy store all week. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a, from, from the looks of it and like the pictures you've sent me and some other buddies that have done that hunt, it's like, you, you're going to, you're going to have a sore back because it feels like every day you're probably packing something out. Yeah. Well, it was like, if we had visibility and we went in, uh, we knew we were coming back with something if we wanted to, or at least we'd have opportunity. It's just so much fun. Like yeah. you wouldn't think that hunting these little like sub hundred inch deer would be that much fun, but just anytime you're in a game rich environment and you're in a cool place, it, it's just constant fun. Like Kodiak Island is awesome. You can get the bad weather obviously. And it's really well known for that. But just hiking around the mountains, looking at all these little deer. I mean, you look over on one hillside, there's a brown bear. You look back out in the bay behind you, and there's a whale breaching. Look up in the cliffs above you, and there's a mountain goat. Oh, and by the way, there's a fox frolicking out in front of us. I mean, it's just this really cool place with a ton of game. And especially, too, like since those are late season, like October, November, and December hunts, it's kind of cool that you can go do all your other hunts in the lower 48 for the most part earlier in the year and then it kind of caps off your year too and so like last year i'd had a really tough tough elk season and um ended up not getting my bull last year and then kind of redeemed myself going to kodiak island and i think that that hunt could make anybody feel good about themselves too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's so cool for so many reasons um, yeah, I know. I'm I'm looking forward to it from the standpoint of like, all right, kind of breaking up. Like it was hard for me, and I I talked to you about this to go in late October, uh, early November when it's like my favorite time to be in the whitetail woods. But same. at the same time, at the same time, it's like, all right, this is like, I sit in Pennsylvania and tree. I could sit there for two weeks and see a total of like four deer. Um, and in <laughs> some of these places, like to go and have a hunt where it's game rich. You get to, to, to see that, see the beautiful landscape and just have that adventure. It's like, man, that's, that's a hard thing to pass up wanting to do. And, and, uh, I'm just, I'm so excited to, 
to give that a try. And I, and I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll save asking you more questions on that hunt specifically as we'll, as we go throughout this year, I'll share more as the, the planning with it. And then we'll, we'll podcast while we're doing the trip, um, and kind of go through that. But, um, it, I think that's a, one of those hunts, um, that's affordable, um, and something to be able to do when it comes to, to hunting Alaska, it's it just every, the, the demand's high, uh, now as, as we'll discuss and it's, uh, and so is the price like, so that, you know, demand kind of drives that, that price. And, and you've seen that with the, the, or we've all seen that with the caribou hunting, you know, the hunt that, oh, yeah. uh, that we planned a year out last year or or i guess we planned in december for that following september like that or august like that's not happening anymore oh nope the demand has been unprecedented here the last couple years and that was actually a big concern of mine being in the travel industry now especially for hunting and there being so many travel restrictions in place going through covid the last couple of years but if anything um it had the opposite effect on the travel and hunting industry. I think it increased the demand because I think that if any time that people have more time on their hands and they're told that they can't do something, I think it's going to make somebody want to do it more. And so, I mean, if anything, you know, people have started to think about a lot of these things and also coming off of, you know, the economy being in a great place for a long time and people are financially stable and, and then you have something like COVID kick everything off. And now everybody wants to travel because he said they couldn't, I think. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and caribou is extremely popular right now. I think it's one of the highest demand hunts in North America. So. Yeah. And, and that's, especially DIY. Yeah. Oh, and cause I mean, that was a, a relatively affordable hunt as that's now mm-hmm. kind of changing um, and being more expensive. I know looking at, when I was trying to book it again, um, with you, you know, that's jumped up a couple thousand dollars in a matter of a few years. And it's just, I, I don't think that's going to change. Um, if the demand's there, like there's no reason for that price to come down, um, from their standpoint, plus the operation standpoint, uh, costs are higher now fuel, all those other things. They are. And, uh, that doesn't, doesn't make it any, any easier from the transporters perspective. Nope increased demand, increased overhead costs, um, all of that drive up the cost of the hunt package itself. Fuel being a big one, I think Avgas has gone up 25 to 50% just in the last year from the reports that I'm being told. And then the insurance costs are absolutely obscene to fly people into the field every year. Um, that's going up constantly as well. And then also when demand is so high and everyone is increasing their prices across the state it's just naturally going to happen so yeah and and so i i kind of wanted to um before i go into to more about like the demand and stuff i i want to ask you about like what your initial reason for hunting alaska and like kind of going uh i guess going that route like i i and you've done a lot of Alaska hunts since the, you know, your first hunt and stuff was, was the moose hunt your first hunt that you did in Alaska? It was. Yep. Yeah. The moose hunt in 2016 was my very first Alaskan hunt. And since then I've done eight hunts. So actually I just got back from my eighth Alaskan hunt just a few weeks Jeez. ago on Kodiak. Oh, that's, yeah. that's insane. My favorite place. 
my favorite I, it, place. <laughs> I've only so I've only been to Alaska for the caribou hunt, and then once for doing some rafting and and hiking mm-hmm. and doing some different things there. But it's like it's been like my favorite place to go as far as. There's not the pressure of people that you deal with sometimes in the Western states and uh, during your typical elk and mule deer seasons, um, just the adventure aspect of it, getting to fly in, doing all that stuff. Obviously, there's a cost that comes with it, but it's it's such a cool experience. I mean, as much as now uh, next year, which I don't even think I told you that I confirmed that I'll be going on a moose hunt in Alaska now too. Oh, nice. So, so, uh, I, I have two Alaska hunts in 2023, which actually wasn't the plan as far as that's not, uh, the easiest thing to, to be able to do in one year from a, a financial standpoint, but, yeah. uh, the opportunity, the, the opportunity came up and it was like, I need to figure out how to make it, to make it work. And it's like what I've learned from, you know, I guess running my own business now and just like learning a lot from, with entrepreneur courses and groups and stuff that I'm in, it's like, man, if you want something, you can figure out a way to make money to, to be able to do it. So for me, it's like, I'm looking at the opportunity and some of these opportunities start to, to fade a little bit and be harder to, to be able to do is like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this. And, and this, this hunt isn't through you necessarily. It was through a friend of mine that, uh, has been mm-hmm. on a waiting list with a transporter for a DIY moose hunt. And, and he, um, invited me to come on luckily. So Ethan, um, uh, I've known him. He's a, he's a guide in the lower 48. I've went, he's a, done bow fishing, whitetails, uh, waterfowl, that different stuff. And, and, um, he's also a sales rep for Sika and he, uh, invited me to go on it. So I just put the deposit awesome. down on that, on that last night and, uh, Sweet. looking to, to plan it. But moose hunt's been my like number one bucket list hunt that I've wanted to do in Alaska and when I was talking to you about it, you're like, man, that's, that's also one that has a high demand and it's taking, you know, years to plan out. I think you were saying what, like five years out on, um, doing some of the DIY moose hunts with, with your transporters or four or five years out. Yeah. Some of them are getting ready to be at the five year mark. Like right now, our preferred transporter for DIY moose that has more of like that, um, like drop camp package that includes camp and food and more of like a full support logistical package. They're taking reservations in 2026 and 27 right now. And so I think that right now there's a lot of room in 2026, but I would project by the end of next year, 26 will be full. And so that means they're going to be four years out at all times on their moose hunts. And they also have guided hunts and I think their soonest available guided hunt is 25, 26 now too. <laughs> so Jeez. it's pretty wild. It's not too uncommon on the big species up in Alaska. I mean, moose, brown bear, sheep, sheep's getting to be super popular and also very limited caribou. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild when people yeah. ask me like, um, cause I, I plan these trips every single day for my clients. People ask me all the time, how soon do you think I need to secure this or how soon do I need to reserve this? So I don't lose it because everyone's in the planning and thinking stage all the time. Right. And um, that's a pretty realistic question to ask, but my answer has shifted to basically I get surprised every single day. 
at what the answer to that question is. Cause I don't know. I get surprised constantly. Like last winter, I had a bunch of clients that I was trying to find guided moose hunts for. And typically that wasn't a hunt that was booked super far out. Cause those are very expensive hunts. And, um, in less than 30 days time period, three or four of the operations that I worked with were booked out two years out. And I didn't have a moose hunt same year available for my clients guided. And then DIY just due to the cost is a lot, a lot higher demand. So, so yeah, I get surprised all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's crazy. And like that. And so that's like, for me, as I'm looking at this and like for anybody listening and i know this doesn't necessarily help with the the demand aspect but if someone's really wanting to do one of these hunts i feel like trying to plan it um you know sooner than later sooner than you're planning on doing it is the the better route to go you know is it yeah maybe correct me if i'm wrong there but uh it it see i don't think those numbers are going to get any better it's not all of a sudden going to be like all right these these moose outfits are are four years out now you know a couple years are only going to be two years out like i don't think that's going to change yeah it's probably not going to change anytime soon and also a lot of these outfits they have a lot of repeat clients like i think in year 2022 on our diy moose hunt i think the statistic that came up was like seven or eight out of ten of my clients that did that hunt this year i think i had let's call it like 20 to 25 hunters total there but seven to eight out of 10, 70, 80% rebooked for a future season. So, I mean, if you have three quarters of your clients wanting to go back a following year, I mean, you can see where that's leading to pretty soon. It's going to be a repeat client only hunt. So. Yeah. And, and I guess getting in with them, like is probably, uh, it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder, but once you do that, that helps, um, yes. being able to, to do that. So it's like, I don't know, I've kind of shifted my outlook on all these things of like, Oh, you know, I'll have time to be able to do this or do that. It's like, now it's like trying to figure out when those things are available and then me figuring out how to work my way mm-hmm. into that. And that's, that kind of also takes of like uh, work year round on trying to be financially secure uh, enough to be able to do that or have the the ability to to make more money to be able, I mean, even on the DIY hunts, they're not cheap. Uh, they're not by any means um, to to be able to do that, and and uh, I, that's you know we can complain about it all we want, but that's not going to help the situation. So it's like how can how can we be better prepared to to do that? You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret these things cost a lot of money, and I mean, you're going to have invested into a DIY hunt in Alaska easily what you would have invested into a really good guided hunt in the lower 48. But I think the perceived value there is a lot different because I mean, let's say you're going to have six to $7,000 invested in a DIY caribou hunt now, not including flights, tags, hotels, (laughs) gratuities, food, um, stuff like that. I mean, that's easily what you'll pay on a you know, a pretty average guided elk hunt in the lower 48. But, you know, if you wanted to go guided in Alaska, you're going to pay probably twice that in some cases, three times that. And so that perceived value is pretty good there. So, and I think there is a lot of value in those hunts. Yeah. And what I've learned about my one trip that I've done to Alaska so far for hunting is, and you told me this going in and I'm glad that you did. And this is what helps is like, you're like, 
understand that you're going to run into things that come up and it's going to cost more than you have in your spreadsheet. Like that's just what's going to happen. You know, we had that where we luckily tagged out early, but we had to change our flights and changing flights cost a lot of money. It costs like $1,600 a piece just to change our flights um, uh, with it. No matter what we tried, even though that I thought I had the right uh, insurance on the, the, the flights like that, as far as the commercial flights I'm, I'm discussing and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it costs a lot to be able to, to move that and get back. And it's like, man, that, that hurts, but it's like it, you can't let it ruin your trips. So you kind of have to go in with that, that mindset that things are going to come up, whether it's weather uh, or things that are uh, monetary, that's, it's going to, it's definitely going to throw you off a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing about going to Alaska too. Alaska is almost like a mini international trip with the distance of travel and the logistics that go into it. And you really have to have that flexible, easygoing mindset going into it, just knowing that it's like things can come up and they usually do. They don't always cost you money, but sometimes they can. Uh, More than anything, they inconvenience you, they frustrate you. You don't have answers right away and it's just the way it is. I mean, there's just a lot of moving pieces at all times. Now, in the case of you guys um, running into that good problem of being tagged out so early, you flew out halfway through your hunt, basically, that's pretty cool. Um, But surprisingly, the costs were that high to change them with Alaska Airlines. Like, I was actually up there in Kotzebue at about the same time that you were. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Um, and my buddy Mitch and I, we came out of the field a day late. We ended up getting weathered in an extra day. And... Um, there's some other things that changed there with my flights. Cause I ended up staying there for another week on another hunt. But, um, Mitch, my buddy, I had to call and reschedule his flights cause they were under my Alaska airline credit card for whatever reason, there was a no flight fee on that one, but I don't know why. I think that, I think that they just compare the costs of like, okay, your original flight costs this, um, this flight cost 
a day later is this, there was no change fee or something like that. But then in the case of your flight, for whatever reason, because you're moving it up sooner rather than later, it was like, oh, well, here's your bill, sir. Or something yeah. Like that. It's like, or, what are you going to do about it? I mean, maybe what, they're what, like, what's your other option? I mean, maybe they're like that cheap ass used all points for his flight the first time. So we're going to make him break out that credit card and spend <laughs> it on his, <laughs> this next one. Yeah. Um, we're going to get I was money able, back one way or another. I, I was able to, uh, after talking to Alaska, Alaska Airlines have been pretty great as far as airlines go. And they, they, they did. They did uh, refund me in points on some of the some of the stuff that went through it. So now I'll be able to apply that. I mean, I've got a ridiculous amount of points now um, for this coming year, and it looks like all my commercial flights for two hunts um, are going to be free as long as things don't you know change essentially. And that's two trips up there, and potentially even with some of Justin's flights. So that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna help. That's gonna help a lot uh, from that aspect, but. Um, I, I did want to kind of, uh, transition back to where I originally started and then I kind of went down a rabbit hole, but of, uh, you, you plan and you plan in your, you know, first moose hunt and like, yeah. just kind of explaining that, that experience. Um, and, and just going through the story of that hunt a little bit. I love, I love hearing stories of, of those types of hunts. Absolutely. And I'll try to, I'll try to condense it to some point. Cause I, I could probably tell that story for hours cause there's so much that went into it, but much like yourself, moose in Alaska was always the number one thing that I always wanted to do. Like from the time I started hunting squirrels and pheasants on my grandfather's farm as a child, um, those things were always fun, but for whatever reason, I always just kind of had that like adventurous destination itch and moose just being such an iconic animal always really struck my interest and so moose was always my number one and you know going through my deer hunting days as a teenager and even into my early 20s i just always thought you know it's like i'll never be able to do that i don't know if i can afford it and actually i want to say it was like stuck in the rut youtube video i watched one time probably in like 2012 2013 14 somewhere in there a few years before my hunt I saw these two brothers from Idaho and their dad go to Alaska hunting moose DIY. And I was like, wait a second, these guys can do this. Why can't I do this? You know? So I just, I saw something on YouTube and I came to this realization that this is possible. I can do this. And so I just started digging in and doing research. And, um, that's actually when I found outdoors international, um, the owner of outdoors international, Russ Meyer, I talked to him about, a DIY moose hunt that he had done. And I wanted to do DIY because of costs. And then also kind of just wanted to do it myself because I, I could, I didn't need a guide. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but obviously the costs associated will get you there a lot sooner. And so I talked to Russ and he told me all the details about his and um, it ended up being something that I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this, uh, but let me talk a friend into it. Couldn't get a friend to go. And so then I was talking to my dad about it one day and he's like, well, I'll go. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> are you, are you sure? <laughs> and so I was like, well, I mean, if, if you're up for it, we'll make it happen. So we ended up booking it, um, in 2015 for 2018, but we asked to be put on a waiting list to get moved up because we're like, well, we'll be ready to go sooner. And, kind of going back to like what you were saying about, you know, just 
prioritizing things and planning accordingly. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to make it work financially in three years to go on that hunt. But I was like, you know, where there's a will, there's a way I'll, I'll do more overtime. I'll save money. I'll save my tax return, you know, whatever I got to do to pay for that hunt. Well, coincidentally, because I made that my number one financial priority, you know, beyond just basic overhead bills um, in under six months from the time I booked that hunt, I had it paid for as a young man in my early to mid twenties, working an automotive career and serving part-time in the military. Um, I really didn't make that much money, but I just put in the extra time. I set aside my tax return before I knew it, that hunt was paid for. And then a couple months later, I get a phone call from the transporter and they say, uh, I think this was like January of 2016. At that point, I get a call and they say, Hey, we just had a spot open up this year. Um, you're on our list of people to call that want to go sooner. Would you like to go this year rather than 2018? And before the end of that phone call, it was absolutely. And so <laughs> I went and asked dad, I was like, just to be sure, hey, can you go this fall? Are you good? And you know, he was like, oh yeah, of course, I'm good. And it's like, all right, we're going to go this year instead. So 2016 moose hunt was on. So fast forward through all the planning and logistics and everything. Um, dad and I, we get up there and we get flown into the field. We make it in on time. Uh, it was a lake-based hunt and uh, man, so much happened in that two-week time period in the field, but I ended up I ended up killing my moose, I think on the fourth or fifth day. I was fortunate enough to kill my bull and um, he actually died in water, which ended up not being horrible because it was deep enough water where we could float him. But if it was like just shallow enough to where I couldn't float that moose, it would have really sucked. Yeah. Um, so we ended, we ended up floating out that moose rather than packing it, which was pretty cool. Um, so we did that. And then I want to say it was like the 12th day of our two week hunt. Dad ended up killing his bull, which really is the more interesting story than mine. Cause mine, um, I just went out for the day, spotted a moose and had a cool stock and shot him. But with dads, um, we had kind of like this tough lull in our hunt and, um, dad, he, was kind of getting burnt out on hiking and checking new spots out and whatever. So just started kind of calling a little bit closer to camp. And somebody had told me a story before that hunt about how if you're super patient and just call nearby camp, and if you do it at the right times and just maintain a real low human presence, you can actually get bulls to come right to your camp sometimes. And so, and I've even heard of people like stepping out of their tent and looking across the meadow and seeing a bedded bull. And, and so I, kind of heard these stories before and was kind of starting to defer to that tactic a little bit. And so, um, there was a couple of nights where I, I started telling dad, I was like, let's, let's be real quiet right before dark. And then, you know, do a few call sets after dark, be real quiet, go to bed, wake up in the morning and pick up our calling sequence. You know, maybe something will move in overnight. So we did that a couple of times and, and the morning, I want to say morning of the 12th day, um, step out, get the coffee going, pick up my call sequence a little bit with some cow moans and some raking and stuff and go get dad up. Like, Hey, coffee's almost ready. Um, whatever. And he's like, any moose out there? And I was like, yep, there's a shooter on the way or something like that. I go back to making coffee and dad kind of mumbles out and, uh, checks on coffee and it's like, all right, cool. You know, turns around and there's, there's a bull standing right there at 120 yards, <laughs> li literally working in like, as I'm making coffee 
And what had happened is, so moose are so slow and methodical, they can take anywhere from a few minutes to a few days to come into a call legitimately. Um, Oh I'm convinced. I'm convinced of this from all my clients' reports, from all the referrals I've spoken with, and from my own experience hunting moose up there a couple times now. They can just take days to come into a call, um, and so there was this bull working in behind us, just this open meadow, standing there, and he couldn't see us because the tent was in the way. And Dad had like turned around and come back at me, just like ghost white in the face, and was like, "There's shooter." <laughs> I was like, I was like, no way. And I thought he was messing with me at first. And then you could just tell, you know, how flush he was in the face. It's like, he's not kidding. <laughs> and so he grabbed his rifle and he's standing up behind the tent. And I, I ranged it and just kind of started talking him through it. It's like, all right, dad, it's 120 yards. Just make the first shot count. Cause I could tell he was super excited. And, and I just wanted to talk him through it. And so he ended up shooting and ended up shooting it a few times and it ended up dropping right there, thankfully, because it was on hard ground. And so lo and behold, 120 yards right from the tent, we killed our second bull. And so I think that's, that's a way cooler story than mine. Cause like we, we called it right into camp and, and I'm convinced what happened was that the bull had heard us and then came in overnight and just bedded down nearby. And he was kind of in this like little timber strip, just bedded nearby and I didn't see him when I started calling and he just stood up and started walking in because those bulls um, I've been told that their hearing is just incredible and they can hear you several miles away. Their paddles kind of act like satellite dishes, channeling the noise into their ears and their ears are like literally that big around too. So they can hear incredibly well, but they're so patient. They just take their time coming in. And so in the case of that bull, he heard us a day or two before that and started working his way over and he was right there the morning of. And so, you know, we're of course celebrating, finish our coffee before we go over to check him out and start taking <laughs> pictures and whatnot. And, um, as we're, as we're getting ready to take pictures of that bull, another bull starts grunting at us from across the lake. We look over and here's another shooter bull across the lake from us going, oh, 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 like just grunting at us, like, Hey, you, what are you doing? Where's the cow? You know, here's this bull frustrated across the lake running at us. Now we're like, this is awesome. And so, you know, we get our pictures, we dress that bull up, pack him out the long 150 yards to the other side of the tent and, uh, <laughs> all hard ground and everything. It was awesome. Um, well, so the next day I am caping out my dad's bull. He's, he did a shoulder mount on it. So I'm in camp just, you know, caping the bull out, and um, just hanging out and I look up and here's another bull coming in. I had stopped calling at that point, but we had bulls still coming in for two days after we killed dad's bull and we stopped calling. And so that's why I'm also convinced they can take days to come into a call. We legitimately had bulls coming in to the call still a whole day or two later. And it, it was just, it was so cool. So, yeah. And then after we caped dad's bull, it kind of just messed around camp, had a fire, uh, went ptarmigan hunting. I called it ptarmigan because I had nothing else to do and I had a pistol <laughs> and, and a pocket full of ammo. So it was ptarmigan. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then transporters came in, got us, flew us out. And, and, uh, yeah, it was just like this life altering experience for dad and I, I mean, not only to share that together, but also just, you know, going to Alaska for the first time. 
Um, and it really felt like it was against all odds because, you know, here's two guys from Iowa that had only hunted whitetail before. And I'd hunted out West a little bit, you know, like pronghorn, antelope and some other stuff, black bear or whatever. But, um, you know, to undergo and take on this huge, seemingly impossible task of going on a DIY Alaskan moose hunt to go up there and kill two good bulls and do it without any prior Alaskan experience unguided. It was just this like life altering feeling of accomplishment going through that. And, um, I remember we're getting everything packed up in the hangar and the, the hangar manager, he came through and he was walking through talking to clients and asking people, um, kind of working his way down the line as people are packaging up their gear and meat and whatever, just want to go around, talk to everybody and asking them questions like, how was your hunt? How many moose did you see? Um, would you consider doing the hunt again? Um, you know, just, just any regular feedback. And, um, I remember hearing the responses go down the line of, Oh, it was amazing. I saw this many bulls. Um, Nope. This is once in a lifetime for me. This is one and done. Maybe the response of like, you know, you know, I'd consider it maybe a few years down the road, but you know, this, you know, and I remember he got to me and he asked me, and, you know, I think I surprised him with this answer too. He's like, how was it? I was like, I was, it was amazing. Uh, it was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. And he was just like, wow, well, that's great. I'm happy for you. You know, yeah. is it something you'd ever consider doing again? And I just looked him straight in the eye. I was like, if you gave me another tag right now, I'd go back into the field for two weeks. And like everybody in this entire line of people just like looked down at me like, who's this crazy son? Of? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, was, I was just so like thrilled with the adventure we just had. Like, um, you know, being out in the Alaskan elements for two weeks is not an easy task. No. And, and like, I was still so thrilled with it that it was like, man, I just had a shower. I'm good to go. I'll go back and do it again right now. <laughs> Give me another tag. And so like, I really connected with the transporter and we became like instant friends that day, basically. And then, you know, after that, um, running into the next story, basically I started planning my next Alaskan moose hunt that day. So unguided Alaskan moose hunt number two started planning that day. I wanted to go back and try to get a truly exceptional moose this time. So I told myself first time, you know, I, I just want to go. I want to get the experience. I'd like to get a moose. I just, you know, a good bull. And we both shot really good bulls. They're really good bulls actually for our first time. But I know that Alaska is known for those like just absolute exceptional genetics for moose. The Alaskan Yukon subspecies of moose is the best in the world. And so I wanted to go back and go bigger bust and for an exceptional bull. And when I say exceptional bull, I wanted like a 65 inch plus Alaskan bull moose, which that's a pretty tall order. And um, when I talked to Russ at Outdoors International and my transporter, I let him know that um, I understand what I'm asking and I understand that those are tough expectations. And so I'll make a deal with you. Um, I will go back every single year and go bigger bust and come home empty until I accomplish that. I'm willing to do that. Like I'll commit to it right now. And not many people are willing to do that, but going through that whole process, I had learned that if I prioritize this hunt, I can do this every year. And like I said earlier, I not inherently wealthy. I was working in the automotive field, not making very much money and making a couple of hundred bucks extra, um, working for the Iowa national guard, serving on weekends and two weeks a year. 
Um, so all of my disposable income was coming from overtime and <laughs> yeah. yeah, just being conservative about it. But um, I committed to going back and doing that hunt every single year until I take a truly exceptional bull. That's, that was the ultimate goal. Um, and also just hunting Alaska for the first time, it kind of got in my blood and yeah. I was like, this is something that I, I need to, I need to do for the rest of my life as long as I possibly can. And every single year that I can have an Alaska hunt planned going forward, I will. Um, but, um, due to availability, even back then, the soonest available spot 2018, they kind of made room for me. And, um, I talked to buddy into going, who's actually still one of my best friends to this day, Matt from Colorado and Matt, I actually met him in Alaska in 2016. Funny enough, we were at the same uh, bed and breakfast um, there and uh, we exchanged contact and ended up turkey hunting and antelope hunting together in between there. And then he volunteered to go on my next moose hunt and it was awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, on that moose hunt, we were fortunate to both take truly exceptional bulls on that next hunt. We both really? walked into it with, Hey, we're going bigger bust. Um, Matt, he ended up killing a 64 and a half inch Alaskan Yukon bull, this epic picturesque, uh, palmated front palms, big wide, big paddles, you know, just your classic Alaskan looking bull. And then I ended up killing a bull that was one eighth inch under 70 inches wide and just an absolute like, specimen of a moose. Like I, I have size XL hands and I have pictures of me holding the bases of this moose. And like, I almost can't put both hands around the base of the moose of, of his antlers. He's just, he is a freak. He's so huge, but um, I was willing to go home empty if I couldn't find a bull like that. And so we just stuck to our guns and we found a couple of absolute giants and yeah. So I haven't moose hunted since cause <laughs> yeah, between the between the first hunt with my dad and the second hunt of uh taking a couple of giants from alaska I, I haven't had a reason to moose hunt again since but one of my buddies i helped him book his hunt for 2025 here last year i might end up jumping in with them as a third wheel and going moose hunting again but we'll see i uh <laughs> i might need to save some space <laughs> yeah well and, and we'll and, see and well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddy's Hoy RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's a Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills 
and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And yeah, and it's like too, like when I look at it, like, you know, with say for like caribou hunting. Um, now I loved that hunt and I'd totally go back and was trying to plan going back again, um, take my family and show them it. But there's also the aspect that once you accomplish that goal, you want to see other things and try different things. Yes. And it's like, you can't, it'd be difficult to be like, Oh, I want to hunt grizzly bear. I want to hunt this and that, and then try to do them all every year. Now that's starting to get a little bit, uh, you know, out of reach, but so mm-hmm. you kind of got to prioritize. And once you, you hit some of those goals, uh, to, to, to be able to do that. I think that's awesome. And I, I remember seeing that photo on your Instagram of that first bull you killed in the water and thinking mm-hmm. like, how the heck did you skin that? But I guess that does make sense as far as being deep enough that you're able to float. Yep. It. Um, because- one side at a time. That's how <laughs> Cause you're not, yeah, you're not like really moving those on ground or in, you know, ankle deep water. Like you're kind of screwed at not that really. point. You, you get them in as shallow as you can and do one set of side at a time. And you kind of just like lay the cape over on itself. And then you can pull each quarter off of each side and the cape actually laying in the water kind of floated there. And so it actually, kind of gave us a surface to work with a little bit too and it really <laughs> wasn't that bad like it and we had all the right equipment we were wearing you know full-on like fly fishing chest waders because that was a really wet area and so we we knew what we were going to encounter and that there was the potential to kill in water and so you know it really wasn't that big of a deal for us we just made it happen and yeah wasn't that bad so <laughs> yeah. yeah that's yeah you're, you're also the guy that said that you know once you get out of two weeks in the field that you're you'd go back in right now so people should take that with a grain of salt when you say it's yeah. not that bad <laughs> yeah i kind of kind of have to take it into context because yeah i mean i <laughs> i might just be different <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of us that do these types of hunts and stuff are a little bit different um, per se. But I haven't heard like at least in my friend circle, anybody that's went to Alaska, everybody is overwhelmingly like, "I want to go back and I want to do that mm-hmm. again." And it's just like it's in your blood. Yeah, and and I think I think the hardest thing, um, you know, once I've done it now. I feel like it's a lot more obtainable uh, than, you know, before I f- did my first one. And I, th- I think a lot of people get in that, that boat of, oh, I'd love to do this, but not really sure where to start. So, like, that's kind of my question for you is, like, is that something where people are like, all right, get a hold of someone like yourself and be like, help kind of look at what the options are. And, you know, even if someone doesn't doesn't per se – they oh moose hunts my buck list. Maybe they just want to go to Alaska. They want to go somewhere you know special that they have in mind. Like is it is it the right thing? Like basically giving you a call and being like, all right, what are my options and how to work through it, or, or what would you recommend? Well, I'd of course love to help, and <laughs> my services are not in addition to the cost of a hunt. We were kind of talking about that earlier and just kind of touch on that aspect. Um, the outfitters, trip providers, and transporters that I work with, they pay me for my services. So the client doesn't pay extra. And so let's say there's a hunt that's 
$5,000, it's the same price through me or the outfitter. And so just kind of check that off. Um, so people know working with me, but I'd of course love to work with people, but you know, options are limited and I understand that. And um, you know, where to start, that's always kind of a variable question. Like with Alaska, especially and limited availability, I have a lot of people reach out to me nowadays and say, Hey, I want to do a caribou hunt this year, or I want to do a moose hunt this year. And I just start working with them on expectations and trying to figure out what they really want. Cause some people might reach out to me and say, I want to do caribou, but what they're really saying is I want to go on an Alaskan adventure. And I might say, well, do you guys want to go this year to Alaska um, and have a great adventure, but it doesn't necessarily have to be caribou or is it caribou no matter how long out we have to plan, depending on the answer of that um, could be, okay, so we're planning caribou 2025 or oh no, well, here's what we do have available in Alaska because you guys want to go regardless, whether it be like waterfowl fishing, a blacktail deer hunt, combo hunt, whatever. And so, you know, really, I always start out, you know, big picture and work smaller, just kind of start narrowing things down, establishing expectations with my clients um, and just kind of give people some pointers in general of how do I plan a DIY Alaskan hunt well, start big picture and go small, establish what your expectations are, what budget you might be working with, because obviously, you know, if, if budget is not realistic and you can't make it work, then, you know, you might need to plan for 24 instead of 23 or what have you. Um, select your species, which will also dictate the location. Um, and, you know, once you start working down through all of these different steps of, you know, species, budget, location, um, style of hunt, you know, fly in, boat in, backpack in, whatever, you know, pretty soon you can narrow it down to just a few options, you know, because it's a big state, right? There's a lot of places to hunt, a lot of different styles of hunt, and it's all overwhelming, but you just have to have some kind of a logical approach to it. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of spin in circles and not accomplish anything and never go. And um, to that point, too, I also would would encourage people to not get too wrapped up around the axle on, you know, planning every single little perfect step, you know, at a certain point, you do just want to go and figure out your preferences too. So, I mean, you need to know what you want for the most part, but it is okay to not know everything about a trip and just go experience it and learn from it. Um, like you were talking about earlier about what I try to do for my clients, like pre-hunt logistics, talking through all the details, um, I try to cover everything I possibly can. And that is, that is the service that I try to provide for my clients because <clears throat> the more informed you are, at least for me, I'm the type of person where I, I get a lot more from the experience, you know, the pre-hunt research, executing the hunt, and then coming home from it, things going as smoothly as possible. It's very gratifying for me, you know, that, that full circle process, um, and so I do try to provide as much resource education and information for my clients because I want everyone to be prepared and enjoy it. But still, there's there's really no perfect scenario there. There's always going to be something you don't know. But, you know, it, it's kind of like going back to that flexible mindset of, you know, accepting what you can't control, but, um, you know, working on the things you can, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and no, I think 
I think that's a good point is like, and even back to, you know, I tell people with planning, you know, an elk hunt or whatever it is, a lot of times you're not going to have all of the details a hundred percent figured out when you plan on doing it. And then once Absolutely. you, once you get that thing in the calendar and whether it's putting money down on the hunt or whatever, and then you can start figuring out, cause you can get caught up in the details sometimes and not be able to make a decision, um, because you're, you're trying to have too many things lined up ahead of time. <laughs> But once you have it planned, then you can start working through that. And I know for me, I think you and I are very similar in this uh, situation where the more we have planned and kind of have it figured out, it just creates a better experience. It's less stress mm-hmm. on you when you're there rather than all of a sudden you go to Alaska and you kill a moose. And you're like, how do I get this home? Like that's, that's, that yeah. would cause a lot of stress on me if I didn't have yep. that kind of planned out ahead of time. Uh, Absolutely. Or at least have, have some ideas on that. <laughs> yeah. And it opens your options too. Like if you know in advance that, okay, I can either self butcher this, donate it, air cargo it to Anchorage and have it processed or air cargo home, you know, by pre-planning and educating yourself, now you have four options or a combination of all the above versus getting there. Okay, here's 600 pounds of meat. What do I do next? Well, yeah. your option is basically donate it or pay for the most expensive option, air cargo and processing. Whereas if you had prepared just a little bit, you could save yourself several hundred dollars by self-processing or whatever. You know, So it's, it's important to be thorough and plan. But you also do have to just be realistic with yourself and just, you know, at a certain point can't plan for everything, you know? Yeah. So, but having a good idea. But, but yeah, but like even coming back to, um, you know, like say working with you or, or someone on your team or, or whatever, like, as you're planning these things, um, probably, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not normally, it's not going to happen right now this year. Like, especially if you have like very specific goals, like I want to shoot, uh, an Alaskan moose, you know, for example, like that might take some years in planning. So it's like, you got to kind of think ahead a little bit on, on that aspect of it and getting in contact with, uh, someone like you or, or whatever and, and work through those those situations and plan it because things are getting mm-hmm. harder and uh, I mean it's even that way with out west now like I mean over the counter elk hunts are, are very very limited now and you got to start building points and you got to start doing, doing that and that's a, a different topic but it's the same idea of this planning aspect and trying to trying to get uh some things figured out ahead of time so that you can have that that experience um you know because the hard part is like you never know what where you're gonna be at you know financially or jobs or stuff at that time but i think it's it's kind of one of those things that you gotta put it on the calendar and again figure it out as you go because you're not you're not gonna have all those things exactly figured out for 2025 or whatever but planning as far ahead from especially the financial aspect is is important yeah for sure yeah and that's where you know just everything being balanced you know to give you enough confidence to move forward without knowing everything you know just kind of having a general picture outline you know so you can start planning rather than just overthink yourself out of planning a trip and never going at all. So it's kind of this fine line and balance, but at a certain point you do have to take a leap of faith and decide, you know, Hey, I'm going to make this work. There's a will, there's a way how many thousands of people have done this before me and how many thousands of people will do it after me and successfully it's going to happen. So you just have confidence in yourself and 
you know, be prepared for an adventure and give yourself plenty of time to prepare physically, financially, and mentally, and it'll be great. I think what you just said there is like one of the most important things anybody can take away from this conversation, no matter what it is. It's like, you're not the first person that's going to do something like there's, there's a way to do it. It's, yes. <laughs> and it's not, you're, you know, everything you're not thrown against the wall as far as, you know, people have been in probably a lot worse situations than you and have figured it out. So yeah. try to try to think with that mindset uh, of yeah. it. And, and I, I think you could you'd put yourself in a better spot. For sure. And that, that right there is one of the things that I told myself before I pulled the trigger on my first Alaskan hunt was like, I was just so worried about, you know, what if this, what if that, um, can I even do this? You know, I didn't know if I had the confidence to try to pull this off or not. And, but it just, it got down to it. And it was like, you know what, look at these other examples. Like you could just do a simple YouTube search of unguided Alaskan moose hunts. Like there's other people that have done this. We're all people, you know, it's like, if they can do it, I can do it too. So many people have done this before me. So many people do this every year. I can do this too. I just don't know how yet. And that's yeah. okay. And that's the fun. That's, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of the fun is learning. So, yeah, I think with these types yeah. of hunts too, like that, that whole year ahead of time of the planning and the, the gear and the logistics, like that's all part of that adventure. And you got to look at it that way. Like you can look Absolutely. at it as a burden or you can look at it as part of the adventure. And I think however you look at that, it's going to change your overall experience on it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You and I were talking a little bit uh, before we were recording and you were uh, discussing like, okay, you know, how do you battle these things? Like, okay, so you do want to do a hunt like earlier than five years out. What do you do? Like, you know, maybe it's not just Alaska or maybe it's, you know, uh, uh, there's some other kind of off the wall type ideas that you can go with and still have awesome adventures that you can do earlier yeah. and maybe even for less money. But kind of explain a little bit of what we were discussing there. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I've had to do uh, with the unprecedented demand on the travel and hunting industry right now is a lot of times when I have clients reach out to me and what they want to do their bucket list hunt, <clears throat> we might have to plan that out a little bit further than originally expected. And so, you know, a lot of times people are ready to do something sooner. And so that's where, you know, looking at some of these other trips that, you know, might be called more obscure trips or, you know, hunts that you wouldn't do every single year. Like you and I, we were talking about like, say, winter mountain lion hunts, um, winter awdad hunts. Those are awesome. Spring bear. You know, there's all of these other opportunities that aren't always in the limelight, but they're phenomenal experiences. So like say uh, like mountain lion hunting with hounds. Um, that's a really cool experience that I think most people want to do at one point in their life. Um, but you know, it's not one of those hunts where you're like, you know, I'm going to go get my mountain lion this year, you know, like, like your fall elk hunt or maybe your spring bear or something. Um, so, you know, hunts like that, you might consider filling in the gaps between now and three or four years from now on, you know, like your bucket list hunt or whatever, just get out in the woods, do something. Don't let, a weight stop you from going hunting obviously and there's a lot of really cool opportunities out there like that you, you know and that's it's I, I look at it 
I think you can apply that mindset too to like so many different things. Like when people talk about pressure, um, you know, say elk hunting or deer hunting and whether it's public ground or wherever, it's like, okay, oh, there's, you know, things have changed and this is so, well, that creates a void somewhere else. And it's like trying to figure out where that is and uh-huh. use that to your advantage is, is key. And, and it's like, okay, maybe I, maybe I do want to try spring bear hunting. Like that's, I did bear, spring bear hunting last year for the first time or I guess it was this year as we're doing, as we're recording this, but mm-hmm. that was like, it was so, like, I got the whole mountain experience without a whole bunch of, there's people out, but it wasn't like the same thing as, uh, an archery elk hunt. And I still mm-hmm. got to be in the mountains and do that and learn a different species and have a blast doing it and carry a rifle around in the mountains. Yeah. Like that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I think like totally. all those different experiences have their own way of doing it, um, or have their own, um, benefits or things that you can, that you can pull from it. And, uh, I, I, I like, I like that you're kind of coaching people with these other options that are available too. And if you're open-minded to it, you can, uh, depending on your goals like that, that definitely could fit. No, for sure. Yeah, totally. And you know, like what you're just saying about, you mentioned elk, like I run into it quite a bit with, um, elk hunters and, you know, maybe people that haven't hunted out West before, a lot of people do have kind of this notion that they have to go on this, like maybe a draw hunt or something that is like a two to five year plan to go. And that, you know, that's the only hunt that they can go on. Well, there's other options, you know, there's over the counter hunts. Yeah. You might see people, but at least you're in the mountains, archery elk hunting, you know, you're warming up for that once in a lifetime elk hunt, you know? So, I mean, you don't have to just jump to once in a lifetime too. You can warm up a little bit, you know, whether it be like with a spring bear hunt or like maybe an over the counter hunt, more affordable options, uh, drop camps. I mean, there's so many different options to get yourself out there and get out hunting. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, going out and experiencing these things is first priority. So yeah, at least and, for me. And another thing, and I've talked about this before, but I think it's an, an important thing, especially with what we're talking about here, is when you're trying to do like a, a DIY hunt or do it on your own, yeah, you're going to save money, but there's also the aspect of sometimes it might take the same amount of money as going a guided route before you're actually successful because you got to put in the mm-hmm. time, you got to do that. And, and with people that are really busy and maybe very career oriented, maybe you have a little bit more money and are willing to spend it going with a guide. And one, if you go into a guided hunt with the aspect of learning, um, I've, I've only done a few guided hunts at this point, but I did two of them this year and which was, uh, I had never really done that before, but I went into it with the aspect of, okay, I'm going to learn from these guides as much as possible and be a part of that experience. And you come out of that so much further ahead, uh, too, if, mm-hmm. if you go into it with that, if you go into it as they're going to do all the work for me and you're just kind of along for the ride and you're going to pull the trigger, well, you're probably not going to get as much out of it. But you know, yeah. if you're if you are willing to spend that that money, you can have um, some incredible experiences on the guided front. And I feel like I'm at fault too for a lot of times just talking about the do-it-yourself type trips. But there's also you know the guided route that a lot of people could benefit from, especially if you uh, are, are financially stable enough to be able to do it. Absolutely, yeah, and um, definitely don't discount guided trips too. And I know that. Um, DIY type hunts um, are more often the talking point than guided hunts. Um, 
I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of pride in that, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with going guided. And in a lot of cases, it's your only option, like throw a couple options at you, um, sheep, uh, brown and grizzly bear and mountain goat in Alaska, your only option is to go guided. So if you want to do that someday, it's going to be guided. Um, hunting in Canada for any species um, has to be guided because as a non-Canadian resident, you have to go guided. Um, hunting out West in some, in a lot of cases, it makes a lot of sense to go guided because <clears throat> I mean, just to throw it out there, um, you know, if a guided hunt costs, I don't know, let, let's just say your average guided elk or deer hunt out West is like 7,500 bucks. Um, if you spend three to $4,000 driving back and forth pre-season scouting, just to kind of get a feel of where you're going. And then you have equipment, food, stuff like that. You know, you're really getting pretty close to what a guided hunt costs anyways. And you have somebody that basically lives and breeds this and is hunting there all season long, that it's going to take you out and accelerate that learning curve. And then on top of it, you know, all of your other incidentals during a hunt, like travel to and from a hunt tag and license, um, meat processing or taxidermy costs post hunt, all of those things are the same anyways. And so I think it can actually be eye opening for some people to see what the costs of a guided hunt really are and how much they have into a DIY hunt. And much like what you just said, if somebody is, you know, willing to have the mindset of learning as well as, uh, you know, understanding that a guided hunt can still be a, a very rewarding experience. And for me, it actually, it's always been a rewarding experience because I always go into it with the participation mindset of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to just follow you around. No, I'm here to hunt with you. You and I are the same. We're the same team. Um, I showed up here ready to participate and I, I want to learn from you. And, um, you know, some of the guides I've actually hunted with have now become some of my best friends. And like, like the guy I grizzly bear hunted with this year, Cody in Alaska, I, by the end of that trip, I, we felt like we were brothers and we were sad, you know, <laughs> when, it, when it was hunt over, we were sad. Um, my, my buddy out in Wyoming, the outfitter I work with out there that I mule deer hunted with this year, he's, he's like a brother to me. He told me when I left, he's like, eh, your family now come here whenever you want, you know, come stay, come snowmobiling with me, come check traps, you know, come stay, come see me. You know, it's just like, you know, it, guided hunting is not, it's really not what people think it is. You know, it's, it's, it's something special too. And obviously, you know, there, there's additional financial costs with that, but you know, if you really cost it out over a period of time, um, it's really not that much more. And like what you're saying, you know, the busy guy that might have a business or can't get away for those few weeks in the summer to go preseason scout or, or whatever, or maybe like a lesser experienced hunter that's kind of on that learning curve side of it still. I mean, we're all, we're all always learning and can always get better, obviously, but, but um, it makes a lot of sense really does. And then also kind of to throw it out there too, in some cases going guided does allow you to get tags more easily. So there's that too, like in certain States, like say Idaho, there's uh, outfitter allocated tags where, you don't have to compete December 1st for a tag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most people don't know that. Um, in certain cases, uh, like say New Mexico, there's outfitter draws for tough draws that'll increase your draw percentage, like two to 5% in some cases. 
um, uh, Wyoming, throw it out there. They have preference point system, but also you can do group draws. Well, outfitters can facilitate that too. Like say the outfitter I work with in Wyoming, for his elk hunts, it takes four points to draw on a special draw now, but I can put people in there that have say two or three points and then we'll pair them with clients that have a higher point value to get everyone the tag sooner. Um, so, I mean, just generally speaking, tag acquisition can be better on guided hunts versus DIY hunts too. Uh, there's a perk there. Um, yeah. And ultimately it's, you're getting out there and, you know, going on a facilitated experience rather than completely lined out DIY. So, yeah. No, 100%. I, I, I totally agree with that. I don't think that those were things I thought of when I first started doing this. And, and uh, it, it's definitely opened my eyes talking to people like yourself and experiencing some things for myself and, and being able to, to see that. And, and also, like you just gave a, a, you briefly gave an example about you, you know, doing a grizzly hunt this year. And that was what your second grizzly hunt because you went back in 2020. Yep. Yep. I went on my first grizzly hunt in 2020 and that was a, that was a hunt that I always thought would be really cool to do, but I wasn't really sure if I wanted to commit to it financially because those are very expensive hunts. Um, but, uh, the outfitter that I work with in the similar area of the DIY caribou hunts, um, he had, he really wanted me to try to get up there and go hunt with him, you know, whether it be like go as a non-hunter, just spend a week in one of his camps or something, and, um, what I kind of had it in mind was, all right, I'm already going to be in Kotzebue. If you guys have a cancellation or something that makes sense financially for us to do it, um, I think I can make that work financially, but otherwise I'll need to plan that a few years out just because they are more expensive hunts. And, um, so I had put myself in a good position financially, had some money saved up ahead of time. And right before my caribou hunt, like two weeks in advance, I got a call and he said, Hey, I, I had somebody need to roll their hunt forward. Um, cause it was like the first year of COVID as you remember. And, yep. uh, he's like, what would it take for you to go grizzly bear hunting while you're up here? It's like, well, what are the dates? We looked at it and it actually worked out just about perfect where I only lost, I think one or two days of a seven day grizzly hunt. Cause it overlapped, it overlapped with my caribou hunt. So I literally came out of the field went, grabbed a shower and a pizza, got a good night's rest. And the next morning went back in the field, but for grizzly bear. Um, and so long story short, um, financially, I was able to pull it off cause it was a cancellation. Um, and then also because I already had the flights, the license, all that taken care of, I just needed an additional tag. So it made sense financially there. And I was able to go on my first grizzly bear hunt. And, um, that was a hunt I really wanted to experience just, because you know grizzly bears are just incredible animals and to be able to hunt one was something next level i thought i'd never be able to do and that was one of those hunts that i kind of fell in love with um grizzly bears are such special animals they are very misunderstood they're so much smarter than people give them credit for they are so much harder to hunt than people give them credit for like i remember our very first stalk on a grizzly bear we had almost no wind that day. And so it was really loud conditions. We got to 800 or a thousand yards with the wind in our face. And my, my rain gear brushed up against some alders and made kind of a loud plasticky noise, like from 800 to a thousand yards away. I watched this bear stand up on its hind legs, look in our direction and run. 
And I just thought to myself, how in the hell are we going to get one of these things killed? Like they are just so switched on, so smart. And um, just that cat and mouse game that you have to play with them to get one killed. It was, it, it was a pretty awesome hunt. We, we ended up having to ambush one and um, ended up, you know, spoiler alert, ended up killing a bear really early on in the hunt. Cause that was such a bear dense area and it was on an active salmon stream. We ended up having to uh, basically ambush one where we waited it. We waited for it to move down onto the river, and then we crossed the river in front of it about a half mile, got up above it on a bluff, and then waited for it to walk by us. Because there, there was almost no way to sneak up on a grizzly bear. Their hearing is so, so good, and they're so switched on. Like, I don't, I don't know how you could sneak up on one. I really don't. And you're always wearing like loud clothing in Alaska, yeah. waterproof, windproof stuff. Um, it's loud walking through brush, stepping on rocks, walking through water, whatever. Um, and so we, we ended up having to play chess with this thing and ended up getting my grizzly bear that way and ended up being a really cool old bear. It's actually right behind me there. It's a nice looking rug. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really cool hunt. And then, um, my guide, one thing that made that experience really cool too, the, the guide and I were the same age, his name's leaf. Awesome guy. Um, come to find out him and I actually, um, we, we both lived in Iowa city as children at the same time and may or may not have even gone to the same preschool. And so here, here I was like, I met my brother from another mother in Alaska, 20 some years later, 25 some years later on the Alaskan tundra. And we may or may not have even gone to the same preschool as children in the same town. It was just weird things like that. We had so much in common and oddly um, we both have very similar heritage uh, just like being from like Western Europe or whatever. And, and we even kind of like look alike. And so like we could probably pull off being brothers or cousins or something if we told people, but yeah, really, (laughs) really interesting guy. We still stay in touch to this day. And uh, he's a, he's gotten to be a pretty, pretty experienced Alaskan guide on grizzly and brown bears and fly fishing and stuff like that. So that was a really cool experience. Um, and then uh, you'll kind of see a trend here when I really like a hunt, I want to go back and do it again. <laughs> so and, and go for next level. Yeah. And go for next level. So I, after I came out of the field, I was just blown away by that. And, um, I told the outfitter, I'd, I'd like to plan another one of these, but you know, let's, let's circle back after season. And so we did and, um, had to plan two years out because like I said, those are, those those are very expensive hunts obviously and so i had planned a couple years out came back this year and the goal was to take an exceptional bear and in order to do that we decided that we wanted to do a 10-day schedule versus a seven-day schedule um, added enough time to potentially have to move locations what have you and uh, go big or bust and uh, yeah that's basically what we did so we ended up coincidentally i ended up hunting the exact same spot this year in 2022 that i hunted in 2020 Uh, i really liked that particular spot and it just so happened that spot was open this year and there was active salmon on that stream again and so ended up going back to the same spot that i already knew uh, with a guy named cody who him and i are the same age uh, coincidentally, actually, we were only born one day apart too. So, you know, one of those like brother <laughs> from another scenario, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah. Awesome dude. And, uh, 
yeah, we stuck to our guns and ended up having an amazing hunt. And on that hunt, I was able to take a pretty exceptional bear and also a, a wolf on that hunt too. So, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty wow, stoked about that. Dude, that's so incredible. Like, it, yeah. like that's, that's apex predator versus apex predator there like that that you know hunting grizzly bear like that's yeah. one of those things that i i think is is super cool too and that's that's another one that i have on the list that i just i want to experience and hunt and i never was really into bears that much until really this this spring bear hunt i did in montana and le- watching bears and learning about the, it's just like i feel like i could get that way with just about any species but bears are so yeah. cool they're so intelligent um and I, like you said and especially in a place like alaska where grizzlies are hunted um they are hunted. heavily so like it's not it's not like uh you know some of the lower 48 grizzlies that are causing more problems no. um it's a little bit different well actually a lot bit different yeah <laughs> uh, but they're almost said, not even the same animal no and and no, and also you all. brought you brought up a really good point and this is a little bit off of kind of the, the grizzly specific topic but you talked about how you were flexible with the cancellation hunt for your 2020 ability mm-hmm. and i feel like that's a if you're able to be flexible with your time um that's a way to be able to get a hunt sooner than later and probably at a, a reduced cost yeah for sure yeah, I, I actually, I've got a list of people that I'm working on cancellation hunts all the time. You know, people that have more flexibility and, and um, you know, have the income ready to go uh, per se, you know, not necessarily like inherently wealthy, but, you know, somebody that says, well, you know, I can be that person that has the flexibility in my schedule. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, save up the cost of the hunt. And, you know, if and when the right opportunity comes available, I'd like to be the one that you call. And so, you know, if I've developed a relationship with a client like that, of course, I'm going to call them first. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to help them into that situation. And I was able to be in that situation myself. Um, and that was just kind of dumb luck, really. But I mean, it's definitely a good way to go. Um, <clears throat> now, with my first grizzly bear hunt, I will say like um, the first one versus my second one. My second one, we planned it with white gloves with a fine tooth comb, like we're picking the spot, the number of days, you know, maybe even, you know, Hey, I want you to hunt with Cody because he's one of my more experienced guides at judging bears. Um, you know, so we put all of these components together, um, and really planned that hunt a la carte specifically for me. Like that was my hunt planned for me two years in advance. A lot of concentrated effort went into that. Um, but I wanted to take an exceptional bear and I wanted a very particular experience. And so, that's what we planned. Now with my cancellation hunt, um, I went into it with very, very easygoing expectations. I told Brad, I said, Hey, um, I understand I'm here on cancellation. This is short notice. Um, I had to get ready quick and I'm going to be easy. You know what? Just, I'm not trying to hold out for any particular bear. You tell me what's a good bear. Um, and I'm even okay with like, you know, if, if, if we have a good opportunity at maybe even a smaller bear early in the hunt, because that's going to be a better situation for you tagging me out earlier. I'm okay with that. I'm just, I'm here to get a good experience and we're going to make the best of it. And, um, you know, I guess to kind of summarize that having your expectations in the right place on a cancellation hunt can be pretty important too, you know, because if you go super short notice, there's going to be things that 
you know, you haven't caught up on that learning curve yet or what have you. Um, but yeah, so something to think about too. Yeah. So, you know, depending on how you want to plan it, you know, if you want to plan that hunt with a, you know, fine tooth comb, white glove per se, you know, several years in advance, then definitely do that. But, you know, if you can be flexible and easy going and just have a good attitude about it, then, you know, a cancellation can be a phenomenal opportunity and obviously advantageous price wise too. So, yeah. Oh, no, most definitely. I think, uh, I, yeah, there's, there's so many different routes here, um, to be able to go to make it happen. It's just being aware of those, uh, different opportunities, kind of figuring out what you want and then working with someone that can help you make your dream a reality. And I, I think that's like, as you're looking into 2023 and you're looking at your goals and what you want to do is kind of start thinking about some of these things. If you want to do an adventure hunt and, uh, which I recommend it was, life-changing you know not to sound dramatic with it but it was a life-changing thing for me you know first when i did elk and then and then as i went to alaska like that changed my whole course on on what i want to want to do and i love whitetail hunting and i love that aspect of things but there's just something about going to to these incredible places that very few people in the grand scheme of things see that get to see and uh and experience that you, you come out a better person for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't think that it's unfair at all to say that it's life altering. Like I, I didn't know what that meant until I went and did it myself, but you know, to come back from a remote destination style adventure and to accomplish that. And I mean, you know, it's not even just the success, you know, the success is obviously great, but you know, it's just the experience in and of itself, you know, going through the trials and having to be patient and test yourself and, and, you know, it's physically demanding and having to deal with bad weather or whatever, sleeping in a tent, um, being cut off and remote, not having cell service, access to email, text, phone call, whatever, um, unplugging. I mean, all of it, every single component of those experiences create just this life altering result. And, uh, I definitely feel like when I come back from one of those hunts, I'm refreshed and a better person and feel like my soul is more alive than before, you know? So it's definitely not getting too deep at all. It's like I said, it, after I did it, I realized that, you know, I need to have one of these trips planned at all times, as long (laughs) as I can physically financially do it. Like this is, this is, this is my jam. This is what I was meant to do. This is, this is what I want to look forward to at all times. So like, I've just, obviously I've made it my life. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's yeah. truly life altering even from a career yeah. aspect with, with you yeah. and, and with me, but, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's and kind not of, everyone needs to take it to that extreme, but n- no, you know, it's no, like, not you know, at all, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I think it's pretty cool. And, and one thing I remember, um, when was it, I guess. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I guess when I, when I first met my girlfriend and her family had done a bunch of cool Alaska hunts, uh, back in the seventies and eighties, like her talking to her grandpa doing sheep, sheep hunts and, and, uh, her dad's done it too. And like, and, and grizzly bear hunts and like getting to hear some of those stories like back then and being, they still remember it like so vividly and so detailed and it's just like, I want to have those memories and be able to talk about that yeah. and hopefully motivate somebody else to, to be able to have those same types of experiences. And, and, uh, there's, there's so much to it, but I, I, 
I, I think that it, it can seem out of reach and, uh, it's really not if you, if you, you make it a goal, but I'm not gonna, I'd also don't want to downplay any of this and make it act like it's just like easy. Like you really do have yeah. to align, align yourself with this is what you want to do and, uh, make it a point to, to make it happen. And there's sacrifice that comes with the finance side, the time, all those different things that, that that are associated with it. And I think that's something that I've tried to also put focus on is, you know, whether it's talking about, uh, you know, whitetail hunting in the, in the big woods, or if it's, you know, going to Alaska or it's going elk hunting, like, I don't want to dumb it down as much and act like that. You can, it's just, it's so easy to do. It's not easy, but that's what makes it rewarding, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and you just have to, you have to, have your your goals aligned with it and and uh there's there's sacrifices that we've all made to to do that and that's yeah i guess that's that's the end end of my soapbox there yeah no absolutely <laughs> no, i but, totally get it and, then, and like the first the first trip is like it, there's so much anxiety that goes into the first trip and and that's a big thing that stops people from ever going on that first trip but it gets easier every single time going forward. They're never easy, you know, even though like I'll say things like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Um, like you mentioned earlier, that's kind of a relative term. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, that's, there's always going to be trials, but it just it gets easier the more that you do it. And, um, you know, you just kind of learn from it and reduce that anxiety of going and the unknown and all of those things just get easier as you dive into it and do it more too. So cause everyone has to go on their first trip at some point. Definitely. Well, yeah. Kyle, I appreciate you coming on again and, and talking with me here. I mean, I think there's, there's a million different directions we could have went with this, but like my goal was, as we talked about was like, I want to kind of bring it back to, to ground zero and looking at, you know, what's, what are possibilities that are out there rather than the, the detailed logistics? Because again, that's where you can get caught up in things and just it's it, adventures out there. And, uh, and I haven't said this on the podcast since probably the first year, but like, like kind of like my tagline of, uh, you know, how do you define adventure, but it's really yours to define and, and they mm-hmm. know how you want to, uh, go, go down that route. And, and I appreciate all your help with being able to help me plan these adventures. And now we're going to get to hunt together and I'm yeah. sure I won't be the last time. So I'm, I'm excited yeah, man. about that. And, and, uh, and I'm sure the listeners will be able to be seeing more of you going forward. So sweet. Well, I appreciate you having me on and I didn't even know it had been that long since I've been on, but I know, you know, I appreciate you having me on and, you know, letting me talk about what we do and share some of my experience. Hopefully it helps people out. Yeah. So I guess the last thing I'll say is if anybody wanted to either get a hold of you or just like check out, um, website, social media, any of those things, uh, to, to follow along, where, where would you, uh, want to recommend people to check out? Yeah. So, um, I can give you my contact info to include in the show notes, but, uh, email or my, I'll give you my personal cell phone. Even, um, people are welcome to call me, although just be patient with me getting back to you. So email, cell phone, um, cell phone. I think I'm, let's see, what am I on Instagram? Uh, Kyle Hansen outdoors, KH outdoors. I'll have to, I'll have to double check that. I'm sorry. It's, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's Kyle Hansen outdoors. I have it pulled up here. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Thanks for 
Thanks for keeping me straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you can get a hold of me on there. I'm pretty responsive. Um, and I always tell my clients and people that if you ever reach out to me, I'll always get back to you. If I ever don't, it's just because I'm out of service or on another call at the time. So, but try to provide the best service I can and communication's huge. So any platform, yeah. I'll always get back to you as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll put the uh, links to all that stuff in the show notes, but really thanks again for taking time out of your yeah. busy schedule and, and talking with me here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.